So I hope that most of you will recall uh, that about a year ago we looked very closely at the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Okay, for about seven weeks in a row in between Christmas and Lent, uh, we heard a little portion of this. It went straight through and we covered about the first uh, four chapters of that letter. Well, this year in between, uh, in between Christmas and Lent, uh, we also hear uh, the, from the letter of the, to the Corinthians right from where we left off. So we're really just going to kind of continue that little series that we started. And so just to recap and sort of refresh your memory as to some of the themes that we talked about, a big one was the idea of holiness. Okay, holiness, meaning that we're set apart, that we're distinct from other people in our community who aren't following the Lord. We must live our lives in a distinct way. All right? Uh, Now, you'll also recall that Corinth, it was a bustling metropolitan area, and after Paul established his church there, his church there, uh, the, the community sort of slipped into chaos. Okay, there were false teachers who came into that community and they were leading they were leading people into some false ideas about God and about how to be human. There was also some division in the community. Some of it was theological. You might remember the reading some of you say I belong to Paul, others say I'm following Apollos and others are saying I'm following Peter. Okay, they're kind of picking and choosing which leaders they want to follow and which ones to ignore. Okay, that was going on, and Paul's writing against that. There was also some economic tension. Uh, there were some poor people in that community who weren't welcome to uh, receive the Eucharist because of their economic situation. Uh, Paul also talked about wisdom. Okay, wisdom, it's that practical knowledge that we need in order to live a good life. Uh, Many of the Corinthians, even the Christians there, were living a life based on human wisdom, based on worldly ways of thinking and valuing things like pleasure and wealth and power. And so Paul writes to them, pleading with them to abandon that worldly wisdom and instead to rely on divine wisdom. So even though it's been almost a whole year since we looked at this letter, again, we're going to dive right in from where we left off. And some of those themes that we talked about are going to be really important because Paul's going to start to address some very specific uh, issues that are going on in the community. And I'm sure as this letter was read... Uh, at as those Christians gathered in Corinth, I'm sure there were a lot of uncomfortable people because uh, this portion of the letter, Paul is really dealing with some, what we might call some adult subject matter. All right, it might not have sounded like it because the context is a little bit unclear, but Paul is addressing some moral issues pertaining to the bedroom. There were disciples of Jesus in Corinth who were living very scandalous lifestyles. 
Some of them, Paul says, were even worse than the non-Christians. And what Paul says to the Corinthians, it is relevant for all of us because many Catholics have chosen to follow worldly wisdom over divine wisdom on issues of marriage and family. Now, I do get that there's some suspicion of what the church has to say about these matters. And I do understand that people will struggle at the thought of living these teachings fully and 100%. And so, again, if you're skeptical and maybe have a little bit of anxiety about those things, I understand completely and I'm not judging anyone for that. Again, I understand that there's some anxiety and and that the church asks a lot for us. I get that, but what I don't get is why so many people are so trusting of worldly wisdom when it comes to relationships between men and women. Now, I don't look at this purely theoretically. Okay, I sit here as a, a older end of the millennial spectrum, mid-30s, sort of wondering, what's this worldly wisdom really done for us? All right, my entire generation was sort of raised on this worldly wisdom. Okay, my friends suffered from high divorce rates. My friends suffered through a heightened sense of loneliness. Okay, we were the ones who were taught all kinds of things about safety in our relationships, but we were taught very little about how to form strong relationships. We weren't taught about what love is, and what's worse was that we were taught to distrust our churches, which are the very institutions that keep us grounded in authentic love. Now, all of that distrust, of course, kind of came to a head with the abuse crisis in the church. Okay, it sort of justified all of that distrust that some of us had. And woe to all of those who had a role in that abuse crisis. And if you have family members who are my age who, uh, you know, aren't, aren't very close to the church right now, I think of a lot of it is a, a trust issue. I think there's a lot of distrust there, and this scandal certainly had a lot to do with it. But I'll say that despite all of that, of course, you know, I came out of all of that with my faith intact, obviously. I wouldn't be here before you if if I didn't. But a lot of my classmates didn't go through that unscathed. They're very confused, very cynical about true love, and there's an emptiness within them. And I wonder, you know, despite all of this worldly wisdom being thrown at us, all this wisdom about about power within relationships and, 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 you know, building relationships around wealth and, of course, pleasure in things, I wonder, are people who are my age and younger, are we on average any happier with our marriages and with our relationships than our grandparents? 
Are we any happier with our marriages and, and family life than our grandparents? M maybe we are, but I'll be honest, I don't see it. I don't see the same happiness there. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that the world was not perfect prior to the so-called sexual revolution of the 1960s. And I also understand that that revolution was addressing real problems that were going on within marriage and family. And I get that many of these problems were felt mostly by women. I stand before you today do believing that a revolution was needed to correct some of those problems. But the revolution that we picked simply hasn't delivered on what it was prompt what it promised and it was rooted in much of this worldliness evidence I'll point out is Hollywood alright people in Hollywood they bought into all of this 100% and so if anyone should be happy right now it's people in Hollywood but they sure don't seem happy to me all their current scandals aside a lot of people who have the fame and wealth that we aspire to, uh, they'll readily admit that it comes at a real price. It comes with a real loneliness about it. So it's probably past due for us to acknowledge that this worldly wisdom has failed us. And we can then start to look for another revolution that's rooted in divine wisdom that's rooted in authentic love for God and love for neighbor. Now, Paul, again, he's dealing with this same issue, okay? And he sheds light on the root of the issue here by talking about the body. He asks the Corinthians, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Therefore, he says, glorify God in your body. All right, the motto of the Corinthians who were involved in this heinous lifestyle, which I can't even mention, uh, I can tell you what it is later, but this, this, these misguided Corinthian Christians, their motto is the same as so many people launching these revolutions today. Both their mottos is, it's my body and I can do whatever I want with it. What St. Paul is saying here, pointing us to divine wisdom, he's telling us instead to say, my body belongs to God and I must give glory to him through my body. And of course, people might say, well, Father, we can't impose our religious faith on other people. Well, I'm not asking you to. I'm asking you to impose your religion on yourself. Okay, the mindset, that paradigm shift, it makes a huge difference. And sadly, this, it's my body and I can do what I want with it, that mindset Many Catholics have bought into it, even if they haven't completely bought into a totally licentious lifestyle. That's really 
the spiritual issue that Paul was dealing with. And it's the issue that Christians have struggled with since the church began. Do we trust God with our body? Or don't we? Do we trust that God has created us out of love and that he's created us for love and that many of the rules that he's given us for this sphere of our life he has given to us precisely so we can discover what true love is? Or do we say through our actions, I'm going with the worldly wisdom on this? Now, Paul gets it's difficult. He gets it's difficult, and he understands that there's need for a very deep conversion within the hearts of the people. And this is why he speaks of all of this in context of the resurrection. He says the body is for the Lord, and he says that just as the Lord has been raised, so must we ourselves be raised. When we talked about divine wisdom a year ago, we talked about how we need our minds to be transformed. We need our minds to be raised up to higher ways of thinking. It's the same thing with this issue. Allowing our minds to be raised will help us to see married life, to think about marriage and all things that pertain to marriage, and to live marriage and all things that pertain to marriage in a way that gives glory to God and in a way that leads us to eternal life where all of our deepest desires will eventually be fulfilled in Christ.